also pretty loud. We're going to remember what show I'm posting, and then we'll be ready to go. Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Let's do this. We know what podcast this is. I didn't almost introduce a radio show. That's I don't even know why you'd bring that up. You'd think I'd have decided to start all these intros as similarly as possible so I could catch it in the middle, but nope, didn't go that way. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. Let's rock the wisdom, which is what we always do here on the Say That Podcast. Hey, <laughs> with us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Honestly, when Jed was counting us in, the way that the cadence with the one, two, I thought he was going to re- refresh the count. And we were all going to start us. He was like, one, two. I thought he was going to, one, two, three. And I was ready to really, I didn't even have an instrument in my hands, but I was like, oh, what am, what am I playing? What's going what's gonna to happen? Absolutely. You've yeah, always got to be rock. ready for the surprise rock breakout. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the rock show intro. You know, it's, it's you know, you're you're establishing the the beat there. I did love recently on a not too long ago episode of the Bridge Loud, uh, when Matt introduced Jed, he literally said, "It's the most wonderful time of the yeah whatever." It was like the <laughs> the fastest downhill of enthusiasm I've ever heard. Yeah. There is uh, 12 inches of snow on the ground right now here in Chicago that fully supports that narrative arc. (laughs) And falling, as in it's still coming down. It's been snowing (laughs) for 28 hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But another thing is going on in the world, the snow, the 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 fact that nature hates those of us who live in this city and we choose to live in it anyway because of our unconfessed sin is not the only emergency, I'm forced to declare, a financial emergency. Oh, whoa. Oh, wow. Is everything okay, Matt? Yeah, not the normal kind of financial emergency where my uh, credit card gets declined at McDonald's, which is a real thing that happened to me in my early 20s. Um, (laughs) That's that's a low point, dude. It is a low point, but... That sounds like a Simon Pegg movie, like the first four minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we've we've all been there. Nope, just me. Well, I've been there. But I've had zero dollars. What I've never had is negative tens of billions of dollars like our friends on Wall Street. <laughs> well, yet. That's that's very true. Some, <laughs> someone will just give me a chance to spend 11 digits worth of other people's money on whether or not, whether or not I think people want to buy video games during a pandemic. <laughs> if I understand this correctly, and I'm not particularly financially literate, what, as I understand it, too many people bought video games at GameStop at once, and now like four hedge funds have to close. I think that's it. But but then you take them back, and like you can sell the games back and get store credit. <laughs> but then the billionaires don't get any of that. I, I I'm not totally in on all the ins and outs, but I think it's something like that. Fitz, I think the billionaires can get store credit. Now, if they're if they're Power Up Plus members, they can get more store credit. So right. like you yes, on the one hand, you've lost, you know, billions of dollars, but on the other hand, you can get 10% off the new Metroid that's coming out in a few months. So, oh. you know, there there's an upside to all this. Okay. I like the I like the idea of, you know, uh Lou at GameStop looking a billionaire from Wall Street in the face and saying, Oh, you don't have your receipt. I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. <laughs> gosh, sorry. It's against store policy. <laughs> no, I can't redeem these call options. Um, 
We have some old PS3 controllers on sale. (laughs) Is that something? Guys, this is why these Wall Street dudes have said again and again and again, we need regulation. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I like the idea that it's a free market until a bunch of regular people do something and they're like, no, 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 I like the idea that somebody says, well, you know, just go out there and invest your money. And then everybody does and they're like, no, 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 Not like that. Don't make us lose things. Yeah, we all had the experience when we were kids of going to the the slightly unpleasant but and spoiled kids' house who had all the really cool stuff. Who was just kind of making up rules on the fly as he was losing games. <laughs> yeah. Right. It turns out that's the backbone of the global economy. So Calvin that's a system that makes sense. Yes. That's that's what you're telling me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely Calvin Ball. But we 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 span out from that, even though, as you can tell, we have a a mastery of knowledge of the situation. We just don't want to make <laughs> you guys feel bad cool. about <laughs> not understanding it. We're gonna move on to something uh, that we do have a lot more familiarity with. It's a little more easy to understand. And that's churches not having any money. Oh, we do know about that. <laughs> we do know about that. And you may think, what are you describing? Maybe uh, the inner city churches you guys work with up there in Chicago, who, uh, you know, a lot of you know, poor neighborhoods and aging uh, congregations, a lot of financial problems going on there. Maybe uh, some smaller suburban churches that with the, the pandemic have not had as many people around, have had to not have in-person meetings. Maybe, obviously, that's been a strain on some finances. And I'm sure all that's happening, but that's not funny. That's just like, there's nothing funny about that. In the same way that if a normal person loses money in the stock market, that's not funny. A bunch of hedge funds lost a lot of money on GameStop, and the entire world's been laughing at them for a week. And in that vein, I bring you the fact that Hillsong can't pay its rent. What? Well, can't or won't. Well, I was going to say, could could the different members of the worship team sell their jeans and then the <laughs> well they could certainly put their sneakers on stock x so they'd have a big head start on paying off that rent i would think so i also like the idea of uh going back to the finance thing just blindly buying stock like it's kind of a, a mystery crate and just you've bought 100 shares of stock x <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we turn to uh, Jezebel.com, which I assume is an Old Testament-themed website. Yes, uh, yes, you have it exactly. Where they're writing <laughs> up uh, some, some uh, gossip items about our friends at Hillsong Church. Uh, there's uh, owners of uh, 300 Sydney apartments that Hillsong was renovating for some reason. Sure. Who are now suing them for a combined $20 million. Mm. So that's... Mm. That's bad. You don't want to do that. Um, but then there's also, as we, we talked recently about our friends, the Hillsong New York with the Carl Lentz and the Justin Bieber and whatnot. So Hillsong's Connecticut branch, which is the whitest thing I've ever said in my life. Is that where they filmed Who's the Boss, Matt? <laughs> it's almost got to be. Very nicely done. Yes. I've said the phrase, two, for, two tickets for Nickel Creek, please. And Hillsong's Connecticut <laughs> branch is still the whitest thing I've ever said. <laughs> Well, and to, to go along with the with the hilariousness of it, they apparently rent a place called the Wall Street Theater Company, which sounds like the evil corporation in the kids movie that's going to take over the rec center to put on boring plays. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We have to win this talent contest. Otherwise, the Wall Street Theater Company is going to tear us down. 
<laughs> so they apparently rent uh, from this place called the Wall Street Theater Company. And, uh, well, they rent in the sense that they occupy the space because there's another part of rent, which is uh, paying the money agreed upon. Huh. In many ways, that's the most important part of rent. Yes. <laughs> a source told the New York Post, Hillsong just ghosted the theater. When the theater sent them a bill, they responded saying they were a small not-for-profit and couldn't pay it and that they didn't owe it anyway. Hmm. Mm. because of the pandemic this is very much uh, in the vein of the michael scott declaring bankruptcy by just <laughs> shouting the words bankruptcy yeah i declare yeah. bankruptcy yeah that's that's exactly right that's exactly right well and it's hard to blame our friends at hillsong because as we learned with the stock stuff if you have enough money apparently when you yell things like that's fraud people just go i guess it's fraud we have to stop them <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I'm starting to feel like a real chump because, you know, when the fir- when the pandemic first hit, you know, we rent uh, the space that we use for our bridge services. So we just kept paying rent because, you know, we wanted to have a building when we were done and we wanted to, you know, be on good terms with them and all that kind of jazz. And, you know, at some point they came to us and said, you should not pay us rent because this is going to go on for a while and we can't take your money. So now I'm thinking, um, should I sue them and get that money back that I paid at the beginning? <laughs> because I apparently, you know, pandemic and whatnot. Well, but did you declare pandemic and then not A good pay the question. rent? I don't. I don't think I. I didn't call pandemic. Well, then there they you got go. you. <laughs> Much like calling shotgun. You found yourself to be a pandemic noob. That's yeah. right. The founders put these things down for a reason. Glenn, you'll you'll be better uh, prepared. You'll do better during the next pandemic. You know this. Yeah. You know you're, you've learned, so now you'll be ready for next time. Well, I, I will. I, you know, I, I apparently I've just been paying money, thinking that was like a godly and biblical thing to do. But uh, uh, you know, apparently the right thing is just keep it. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, the, the this is another thing that 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 kind of uh, people may not be aware of because you think, well, they're they're doing poorly financially because of the pandemic, and I'm sure that's affecting things. They also had sort of a a little bit of a scandal that that might be affecting things as well. What but, what, what scandal? <laughs> but but the, the pastor's V neck wasn't deep enough, and he got kicked oh. out. But what people don't understand is these megachurches go through this all the time. They 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 consistently have these crazy dips, and we had a very very large megachurch uh, near us recently went through a massive scandal. But a while back, uh, long before that scandal hit, uh, they just called up all their employees and said, "Okay, one in three of you is now laid off. Bye." Because we can't fire the building, so we can just fire you. So, bye. That stuff happens a lot. It, they're, they're just not uh, get. It's not getting into the papers, you know. I like the idea that they didn't specify who. They just yep. called all their employees and told them yeah. one in three of you. And just yeah, saw who had the self-confidence to show up on Monday. <laughs> Probably wasn't me. <laughs> there, there's that. There's also, I like kind of a Hunger Games-style competition no, to figure out who's still employed. Well, I yeah. was thinking American Gladiator, but that just shows when I was raised. Nitro. <laughs> <laughs> just the tennis ball machine. 
yeah, just taking yeah. out employees of this church. I like the idea that that a church like that can just like uh can just code switch identity. It's like when when all the uh when when all the LEDs and the smoke screen and the giant concert and the and you know and all the the hair product and the fancy uh mixing board which you know as Jed has told me before lots of these things at a base price cost more than really anybody's automobile on this show. Yep. And um and and at that time you're like you're like we're the coolest thing ever. But then when yeah. somebody actually wants you to like you know, pay rent. They're like, well, you, you don't understand. We're just, Whoa. we're just, we're just a oh. tiny little, we're just this tiny little operation that, you know, we, I mean, we can't be expected to, you know, actually have any money. We're humble servants, bro. Yeah. <laughs> just a non Didn't you notice man. the sackcloth? I bought this Saint Laurent sackcloth on clearance, bro. <laughs> on clearance. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, though I think, and it really, I'm going to put this idea out there. I'd love for us to be the ones to do it, but apparently some of our friends in the financial world all around are in dire straits. Maybe they need, they need this idea more than we do. I would like an immediate remake of the hunger games, but starring the people from American gladiators in the eighties. Yes. Yes. Wow, so like, it's all the same in tone and it's all very bleak. But then when it comes to the actual hunger games parts, it's that thing where you have to run around obstacle course while laser shoots tennis balls at you. Yes. And, and, yeah. and the leotards and the mullets, Matt. Yes. yes. <laughs> but tonally, they treat it with exactly the same gravitas. Yes. And it's the same right. head yes. music swelling, but it's that thing where there was like a weird big bow and arrow you shot at a target. And if you hit it, That's it right. shot steam at a yeah. guy named pyro and the, and the pugilist sticks. Yes. These were our Saturday mornings. People, you just don't understand. Yeah, it's it's almost hard to believe that the economic and cultural system that generated those kind of things is having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's here's my final pitch on this. I want to see what you gentlemen think. Another thing that I'm sure it happened at Hillsong, but it happened to a lot of large membership churches, is they took a fair amount of uh, the paytech protection money. Now, also, we know we have a lot of friends at churches that are smaller that took that because. Their budgets dipped. That it was exactly what the government meant that money for, which was for people who didn't have uh, ongoing income enough to be able to keep their employees uh, paid and in, in insurance, kept them on. That's exactly what it's for. That's uh, perfect. That's what the, what we want to do. But then there were some like uh, like there's a, a famous scandal in, in New York that a bunch of local restaurants had to shut down because like uh, chain burger joints got all the PPP money. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. like Shake Shack got because you know the guy who owns it knows uh, you know the governor got like okay. a ton of the PPP money. But here's what I'm saying: so for the people who actually need it, they just get it because that's the way the system should work. I'm picture I'm pitching if you have an operating budget of over whatever ten million dollars, pick a number, you're eligible for it, but you got to get in there with a pugil stick. Yes, yes. and that's, that's how it. we decide yeah. who over a certain budget gets some bailout money. Okay, and can I pick the person they go against? Because we got a couple of parishioners here who could really swing that stick. Yeah. Oh, I was even thinking they go against the gladiators, but I like this idea of it's, well, there's preliminaries. Like there used to be on American Gladiators where it's kind of a a Viking style. Everyone selects a champion. Yeah, and look, and and all of the hosts on this show know the gentleman that I'm thinking of right now inside my brainstem. Yeah. And... 
what I'm saying is they're not getting the money. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. so here's what I'm saying. Here's why I think this is also a great idea. Um, because now one of the one of the bigger issues I think a lot of churches have is it's like you you put a lot of effort into the people who got the right haircut and they're pretty and they look you know good on the mic and they they're you know pastors putting all his effort into them. There's a lot of people aren't getting enough attention. If this was our system. That dude who's, you know, he's got a good heart. He's a little rough around the edges. He may, you know, he may drop a swear word here and there. All of a sudden, he's getting a little more face time with Pastor because he's yep. got a skill set that is <laughs> integral to the survival of this organization. That's right. But, well, yeah, you know, you, you were talking about a lot of churches that are having financial problems. That, that does apply to the inner city churches we work with. But the thing about that is they never had anybody. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now that if you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, Hillsong, you can't pay rent, uh, maybe don't buy laser beams. <laughs> and and now you got to get in the octagon with, uh, you know, uh, Rev and his deacon from, uh, you know, the inner city church. And I think we all want to see that. Absolutely. <laughs> Also, Rev and Deacon would not be bad American Gladiator names. <laughs> totally true. <laughs> Rev and Deacon. We're, we're not going to pass that. I think we just solved a number of problems at once. And on that basis, <laughs> I will declare emergency off. Ooh. Yes, uh, I will transfer into the bridge box plug. Um, I can't really think of a, uh, a transition to get it from American Gladiators there, but... Uh, you but know. It would be easy to get to the, the, uh, the, 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 the bridge... Uh, live cast on Tuesday night. I mean, with you know, the 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 very good chance that Rev and Deacon could be preaching any Tuesday, any given Tuesday night. Oh, that's sure, quite good. absolutely. That's quite good. They roll up in those giant hamster balls, <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a big steam, thing of steam, and then they start the sermon, and that's production value is what that is. So you can of course check that out every Tuesday at 7:30 p.m. Central Time over at Facebook.com/slash The Bridge Chicago. You can also check out BridgeBox. A little goodness in your inbox every month for only $8. We are here in the month of February where our topic this month was how do I love people I really, really disagree with. So songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff on that over at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you handle this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links right there. Our first question comes in and says, I don't know how to feel about my folks. They're always there for me, give the best hugs in the world, and we're so close, but I also grew up on the receiving end of a lot of violence, screaming, and wounding words. Therapists and friends tell me this was abuse, but my folks say it's our culture, that I was a difficult child and they did those things out of frustration and love for me. Who do I even trust or believe anymore? I am so confused. Thank you. And I I will, before I throw it to these guys, I will, of course, uh, point out that we uh, super appreciate the question. We appreciate the honesty, we appreciate uh, you trusting us with uh, telling us that kind of stuff. And uh, on that, Lee, I will throw it to you because there's obviously a, a lot of stuff going on here. So where would we start? Yeah, I, I echo Matt. Um, it, we're definitely honored to be, um, uh, you know, some of the people that you're sharing that with. And this is important stuff. It's important that you would have the guts to to uh, to write it in because a lot of people share your story. Um. This is this is difficult stuff, and one of the things that it, it's interesting because there are there are issues in your story that have to do with a lot of folks with their parents, and then there are particular issues that are that stand out. One, a couple of things that we need to point out just and make extremely clear: 
There is no cultural norm that makes violence okay. Yeah. Um, there is no, there is no cultural norm or more or anything like that that makes screaming or abusive words righteous, good, or okay. And so we, you know, when you're you're asking a very important question at the heart of this, which is who do I trust? Um, if if the thing that your parents are trying to to get you on is that because of our culture, it's okay for us to deal with a child in violence or screaming or abusive language. That is not true. That is not something that, that you can get. We cannot get on board with that. That, that is something that needs to be outright rejected. Um, <clears throat> and, and by the way, for, for your parents to set this in the context of, you don't understand, you were such a difficult child. This is the only way um, that you could be dealt with. Um, no, that's not good or okay or acceptable. Um, there, there is, there is no culture where we can say because of the particularities of this culture, that makes violence okay, or that makes abusive language okay, or that makes screaming at a child okay. None of those things are true. Um, another thing that we need to be extremely clear about is that you have pain in your past. And I'm so proud of you for um, taking the courageous step of talking to a therapist and your friends about what you've been through. But the person who hurt you does not have the right to define your pain away. They don't have the right to say, because you were difficult in this way, it was righteous or it was right or it was good for us to, to deal with you in, with X, Y, and Z. Um, no, that's, that's not the way that works. Your pain, does, your pain does not get to be defined by the person who caused it. That's a really, really important thing. Um, so again, just broad strokes. Culture, there is no culture that makes violence, screaming, or abuse okay. And the person who hurt you does not have the right to define your pain. Um, if you were going to have a healthy relationship with your folks, that would have to begin with them confessing that what they did was wrong and uh, seeking reconciliation through forgiveness. And, and that would take some work, and trust would have to be rebuilt. What's happened is a total degradation of trust. Like, it, it's, it's totally degraded. It's totally over. Um, and that's the only way that we can get to a place of health. Um, there is a... There, on a, on, a, uh, on a different note, there is a difficulty in parenting that, um, you know, as a parent, I found it hard. A lot of parents find it hard. Some parents find it harder than others. It's a difficult thing to get to a place where you can say to your child that you have been wrong because you spend so much time in the beginning of their life deciding everything for them, teaching them when to say thank you and when to eat the vegetables and when to not, you know, when to wash your hands, all that you, you control every aspect of their life. You are the sole decider of what is right and what is wrong. You're training a human being up from zero. And so it can be a very bizarre and difficult transition to get to the place where you look at this person that you've raised and say to them, you know, on this moment, I was wrong and I want to tell you I'm sorry about that. It's a very important moment for every parent. They've got to get to that place. Um, and it can be a difficult thing. That's, 
That's a kind of a normal thing that a lot of children and parents work through in a healthy relationship. The stuff that you're talking about is on a completely different level. And if there was going to be some health, um, real health in your relationship, it's got to begin with confession and humility and repentance on the part of your parents working towards a reconciliation where they let you define what the pain is and they seek a totally new direction. That is a wonderful place to start it off. I love everything Lee said there. I know we all echo every single bit of that. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to you here because I think Glenn, I think Lee did an amazing job giving us the the overview of it and breaking it down that way. I'd love to focus in on some things here. One particular part is a dynamic we we hear a lot in a lot of different ways, which is the well, I only yelled or we only did this thing because of love and because of the love, I had to treat you badly. And it sounds like to our question asker friend that there's something about that that didn't scan. And I think they're absolutely right about that, right? Well, they are. Uh, there's there's a, a, a difference between an explanation of how I came to do the wrong thing and an excuse. Uh, because an excuse says I'm not really to blame. Mm. Uh, so uh, that turns out to be a very, very important distinction for you to make when you're, when you're working through things with people. If somebody says, well, this is our culture, right? Okay. That's your culture. But is that an explanation of why you came to do something you now know to be wrong? Or is that an excuse to say, well, it's our culture, so you get what you get. Sorry. That's not taking responsibility in any sort of way. So the taking of the responsibility is kind of the whole thing. And I think part of the way that we need to communicate that is if if someone that I love and I have a close family relationship with them and they say, I did this wrong thing and I'm taking responsibility for it, but I want you to understand I was doing the best I could. Here's the response that I want to give to that. First of all, nobody ever does the best they could. So that's, <laughs> you know, that, that, that doesn't quite track. Also, I'm already giving you the benefit of the doubt that you didn't act out of pure spite and hatefulness. You've already been given a lot of understanding and benefit of the doubt. You don't need to milk that cow any harder than it's already been milked on on your own behalf. What you need to do is take responsibility for what's going on here, uh, because that's that's how we're going to get to a place where uh, we can get to some healing. Somebody comes to you and says, "I did wrong," you know that this was wrong, and you can say, "Well, you know, nobody's perfect, and I forgive you, and let's move on from that, and let's learn from that." And how did it come to be this way? And how were you raised? And how does it, now we get all kinds of not only healing but learning. And I think learning is really important in these situations. That's that's a big uh, 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 lofty goal here, uh, but that starts with people taking responsibility uh, for what they've done. Uh, I'm just going to throw this one out there, just because I've heard it a lot from you know uh, uh, adult children dealing with their parents. Um, if you're hearing, well, my parents did a lousy job raising me, but I didn't say anything to my parents, 
I just put up with it from my parents. So, you know, you got to kind of put up with me. That's our culture. Mm. That, that that doesn't track at all. That does not work. It, 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 other, If your parents made a decision to deal with your grandparents a certain sort of way, that's between those two. You're dealing with me. You're not deciding on my behalf what I have to put up with and what I don't. It doesn't work that way. So I think it's it's about getting to a place where, you know, yes, you should be willing to be understanding about these things. I think understanding is great. It's a godly thing. Uh, but if you're already at that place of understanding, it's important to communicate to them. Understanding is not what's holding this up. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm willing to bet that I was a, uh, a, a I'm willing to agree and, and accept that I was a difficult child at times. I'm willing to accept that any child will exasperate any parent. I'm also <laughs> willing to accept that you had no idea what you were doing and that you did whatever you thought was best and that you nonetheless screwed it up massively here and there. I can come to that and love you through that. Uh, I don't know what it is you're trying to keep me from thinking about that, but I'm already there. So, you know, why don't we all just get at the same place of acceptance mm. and taking responsibility? Ephesians 4, uh, 29 says, uh, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Uh, this is, we're directing this at the parents in this case. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit that those who listen. So parenting is raising up that word there, uh, you know, building others up. It's It means like building an actual house. It's the word used for building a house. That's what we're doing with kids. But this unwholesome word, I want to very quickly unpack it because it's really amazing. This is uh, sapros. Uh, it means overripe. Mm. Like, uh, well, rotten might be another word to right. use. Don't let rotten word, words come out of your mouth. But it's here's what's beautiful about it. It's like a fruit that at one point was good and was wholesome and beneficial and healthy, and then it got old and it got tired and it kept going and it kept going, and now it's poison. That's the, that's the way we want parents to understand uh, their parenting style. There's a point where this is good, and there's a point where keep on doing the same thing now becomes an extreme that's unhealthy. So we need to have a common understanding of where we are on that continuum. That's a really great place to take that and a really, really helpful note. And Jed, let me get you to close us out here because both Lee and Glenn gave us a, a wonderful look at the path that might be before someone who has uh, the, the background, the issues that are being described in this question here. But I think that leads to the very important question of given all of that, those intertwining things, what's the place to start? Man, that's a great question. And the really, really good news is that I think the easiest and fastest and most effective place to start is by not blaming anyone for anything. And I'll tell you why that is. All we're trying to worry about to begin is what are the issues that you have today regardless of their origin. In other words, what are the thoughts that are in your head that keep you from the kind of life that you want to live today, no matter where they came from? Give you an example. A thought that occurs to a certain number of people that really holds them back is the idea, you'll never amount to anything. That thought exists in an awful lot of people's heads. 
At first, anyway, it doesn't matter if that came from a teacher or a pastor or your parents or a book that you read or a random passerby on the street. To begin with, it it doesn't actually matter where it came from. Eventually, down the road, it it will matter, but initially it, it doesn't. What matters is you have in your th- in your head a thought that's causing you problems, and we need to learn how to deal with that thought differently. We need to learn how to um, call it into question, how to take some new approaches to things, and that's really where we want to start is getting some um, uh, relief from the things that are messing us up today. That's that's the place that we want to begin, and that is uh, great, great stuff to be talking with a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist about. We really want to encourage you to do that. Now, if you start there, that's going to yield two really important benefits. The first is if we decrease the amount of suffering that's going on in your day-to-day life, like let's just suppose for a second that one of your big struggles is just that thought, I'll never succeed at anything. I'll never amount to anything. I'm just, I'm a loser and I'm a nothing. And that's really, that's the thing that we're working on. We're, we're, we're getting some counseling. And we're going to really challenge that notion and, and, and chart a new course. If we begin to get some relief on that and uh, begin to, to get some freedom going there, it's going to make it a lot easier to look accurately at our past and figure out where things may have gone wrong. When we're suffering actively, that's much, much harder to look at the past clearly. It's much harder actually to look at anything clearly when we're actively in pain right now today. So the more that we can alleviate today's suffering, I think you will find it easier to figure out what was going on in the past, which we do want to do for sure. But the second thing that goes right along with it is if we are aware of the issues that we're trying to work on and deal with, and again, the suffering that we're trying to lessen today, it gives us a much better idea of the things to not put up with today, right? So for example, we're going to keep on with this same um, uh, scenario of there's just this thought in my head, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never succeed at anything. What that means is whether I'm hanging out with my parents or a friend or anyone else, I don't get put up with at all. I give no quarter to belittling behavior. I know that that is a trigger for me. I know that that's something that I am working actively on. So I don't care who it is. If I'm around people and they are making comments that are in some way belittling me or diminishing what I do or diminishing who I am as a person, I am cutting that off. It doesn't matter if they contributed to it, that thought being in my head initially. I know that this is an issue for me today, and I'm not going to put up with it today. I think in many ways, those are really the places that we want to begin. And again, let me tell you why one more time. The first is the thing we care most about is you having less suffering in your life as quickly as possible. You having less active pain and hurt in your life as quickly as possible. So there is the past and that does need to be looked at, but we want to figure out what are the things that are messing you up today? What are the things that are keeping you from the life you want to live and that God wants for you today? The more we can do that, the more we know also how to safeguard that today, where to draw boundaries for today, but it's also going to give us the ability to more clearly look at what happened in the past so that we can apply the good wisdom that Lee and Glenn gave you. That is all fantastic stuff. One, one thing I would add on the end here to get to your, your specific question about, I don't even know 
who to trust. And it goes in exactly with something that all three of these guys have said, which is the sound of someone who is absolutely not willing to participate in a healthy dialogue about a, a hurtful event in your life is someone who immediately jumps to, oh, well, I guess I just never did anything right then. I guess right. everything was, right. I was the worst parent right. and you just hate everything. And I never went to your baseball game or whatever, because that's not how life works. You don't, nobody only does good things or bad things in any yeah. arena of life. So one very, one helpful guideline can be if you have a group, a a person, or in this case, you're talking about you know, therapists and friends group people who are telling you that this instance, this thing that happened is defined this way. And the other party wants to blow that into everything is going to be all or nothing. That is definitionally abusive behavior to say that you can't, uh, kind of, whether they put that in the terms of culture or some of the stuff Glenn was saying, anyone who says, well, that couldn't have been that bad because I'm not like this monster you're making me out to be. That is an abusive cycle. And that is, uh, that, that is kind of textbook in that way. And that's an indication that your parents may, it may be an indication. Unfortunately, your parents aren't ready to have a healthy and a kind of progressing dialogue going forward. Cause if they're going to be stuck on that, which is a very sad thing, we're sad for it. And we hope that it doesn't, stay there, but it can be a very helpful uh, signpost for whether or not someone's ready to take some responsibility for their actions if they go right into, well, you know, I took you to Disneyland when you were seven, so no bad thing I did could ever have been that bad. That's where we're now, it, when you're in that moment, you can, and they're making that emotional appeal to you, you, you can get caught up in that, but if you can take that and break it down to its pieces, you're going to see why that falls apart, and that can definitely be helpful in figuring out how to apply all the good stuff these guys gave you. We'll move on to our next question here. It came in anonymously, and it's actually a, a grouping together. We got a, a bunch of really good questions on the same topic from a, a friend's small group, so we want to uh, take those in, but we wanted to uh, get them all in in the next couple episodes, so we put a few of those together, and this one says, how do you make new friends and maintain existing relationships when there's no regular context to meet them, i.e. school, work, church? I find being intentional is difficult because it seems to put a lot of pressure on every interaction. And I also think that guys have unique challenges to that. Also, is it okay that I don't need any more new friends unless something happens organically? So again, a, a, a grouping of questions there, but I think there's a lot of really, really good stuff to dig in there. And Glenn, uh, where would you start with it? Well, I, these are really good questions and it's funny, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think these are the questions people are are afraid to ask, and I think it's great that you are asking it because it's it's kind of one of those things where we feel like we should know this kind of thing. Like, it also feels like uh, you know I never thought that I would need a friend strategy for my life, you know, <laughs> uh, but you do, it, and it's uh, it's great that you're asking because it's th this is. Um, it really kind of, to me, shows how sharp you are that you think to ask this stuff in this way. Uh, so let's start here. I think part of the problem that we have uh, with, particularly when we're talking about adult friendships or, you know, a young adult through adult friendships, is there's a tendency to um, lump everybody into one big group and try and deal with everybody roughly the same. 
if you do that, you're going to exhaust yourself. And you're also not going to have a lot of really quality friendships because you won't have time for all of those people. So I think it's important to uh, really um, divide all these people into two broad groups. Uh, we're going to call one group the inner circle. These are people that you can confide in, that you can tell them anything and everything about what you're going through. You can trust them with the intimate details of your life. These are people who know you, so they're not going to you know, misjudge you, look down on you, uh, see you in a, in a poor light. Uh, these are people that you lean on. These are people that you care about, and these are people that you invest in. Everybody, That's the inner circle. Everybody else is a buddy. And buddies are great. You know, you hang out. You you get to know one another. You know, a couple, three times a year, we'll say, hey, let's let's grab a hamburger and, and catch up, you know, that kind of thing. And there can be a, a lot of really good iron sharpening iron things there. There can be a lot of a little nuggets of life that we can pick up and get a lot of benefit out of that. But it's intentionally not an inner circle. These are not people that I can trust to the nth degree. These are not people that I can totally bear my soul with this is not somebody i want to have a you know a daily intimate uh, interaction with so uh that's buddies versus the inner circle i think you also need to manage your expectations on yourself at this time um, because there's a pandemic going on <laughs> uh, and you may not have a lot to contribute to the rest of the world. You may be managing yourself a lot and you may fe be feeling a little bit of burnout from trying to spread yourself too thin. So again, find those inner circle relationships that really, really matter, invest in those and everything else can wait until the pandemic is over. Taking care of yourself is, is really important in all of that. Uh, finally, I, as I sit around to these other fellows, I think we need to get out of this obligation thinking. I, I need mm. to, I should go talk to my friends. I should be doing more and interacting more and whatever. Uh, get get rid of that shoulding, get rid of the obligation thinking, get in touch with your needs. What is it that you need? How much friendship yeah. type interaction do you need to have? Uh, take everything from that standpoint, uh, because probably your friends have a similar level of need. So uh, you're going to meet in the middle on that. But if you, you're constantly beating yourself up that you're not doing enough or being good enough in your friendships, you're not going to be a good friend to anybody and you're going to wear yourself out. That's a really, really solid place to start that off. That's so much good stuff. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here because I think Glenn mentioned the idea and it's it's a great term for it because it is it just kind of captures how much it is a great idea, but also it sounds uh, a form of the friend strategy. Yeah. And I think it, one of the fun things about that is a good friend strategy kind of covers both aspects of this question, right? There's the kind of the existing and the new people and the maintaining kind of all fall into the same strategic framework, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that the following is not true for all people. I mean, one of the interesting things about the kind of show that we do is you know, there's never a piece of advice that is true for 100% of all people at all times in all seasons. But, you know, that said, for most people, most of the time, I think maintaining and building friendships is a lot easier when there's some kind of thing we're doing together. Yeah. You know, most people are not at their best friendship building with, do you want to just sit down and share feelings with each other? That's not typically what most people are, are you know, looking to do, even if that 
is ultimately what happens. So I think you want to figure out what is something that you and a small group of people can do together. I know that we have listeners that are in New Zealand. For our listeners in New Zealand, we are all insanely jealous of you because you can actually do things together together. But for everybody else, this is probably going to be over a Zoom call for a while, but uh, you can play D&D. You can do fantasy football stuff. You can have a coffee tasting or a Doritos tasting or or whatever. The key thing is... Or both. Or both. Coffee and Doritos. Sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> new Baja Blast coffee. Oh, uh, my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we yeah, just I, broke Jed's brain. <laughs> I, I'd drink that. I really would. Um, the key thing is to have some kind of, of structure in place, right? I mean, like, um, it, it's a funny thing. There's all kinds of people who wouldn't particularly want to go to a party who will go to a birthday party. Um, just because there's that extra little bit of structure. It's like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. I could, I could do that. Um, and similar, you know, if, if it's just, we're, you know, four of us are going to connect on zoom and just talk for an hour. (laughs) There's plenty of people that probably wouldn't sign up for that. But if it's, you know, we're all going to read a book and then we're going to, you know, spend a few minutes sharing our thoughts about it or something. I think far more people go for it. But if you've got a small group of people that you can do that with semi-regularly, periodically invite somebody new to join you one time. You know, see how they like it and see, you know, how they how they gel with with the group. The key thing is that there isn't one right answer on this stuff. But Mm. if you work at it consistently, if you kind of keep trying stuff, you will find that you are maintaining relationships better than you were otherwise. And you are adding new relationships better than you were otherwise. One more bonus point, and this is something that can go too far, but. Um, generally it's a good thing, which is don't be afraid to be the person who takes the initiative to plan things. Yep. Um, it's a little bit of extra work to be that person. Um, but there's something funny about life. If you have a group of a half dozen people, the thought I should probably plan something has probably occurred to all six of those people. But for whatever reason, the person who actually does it is pretty rare. Decide to be that person. Again, that can go too far if it's only ever you, no matter what, for years on end, and you're you know the, you're the only person who puts any kind of effort. But in general, don't be afraid to be the person who takes the initiative and does a little bit of light planning so that this stuff can actually be move forward. Your life will be better off for it. Their lives will be better off for it. You'll be glad that you did it. It's a really really great point. I love the the practicality of that. And Leah, let me get you to close this out here because. One of the things that both Glenn and Jed have pointed us to here, and it really is, especially if you're a young person, maybe you're, you're coming out of college or in that kind of stage of life, that maybe the first time this has really been part of your thinking when it comes to things like friendships is friendships have a role in your life. You know, when you're young, you just want more friends because that is good. Just collecting people is kind of a, a social status thing when you're in you know, seventh grade or whatever. But it's worth thinking about what is friendship for, right? Absolutely. I, I I love I love what these guys have said. And by the way, I do think the friendship strategy sounds like the title of a Pierce Brosnan movie that you found in the depths of Netflix somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I didn't know he made that one in 1997. Um, but I, I I love this idea of uh, first of all I. I loved where Glenn ended that on the idea of obligation thinking. 
um, because I think that gets us into a lot of trouble. Obligation thinking, man, it's like when he said that, I just, it was like, it was like, I just had like a a twitch, like my eye started twitching. (laughs) It's just like, there's, and maybe this is because of my personality just being kind of introverted, but there's nothing worse than obligation ever. And, um, and so, but there, but Matt raises a really, really important question here, which is kind of the opposite of obligation thinking, which is, um, it's kind of greedy thinking. Like, what do I want? What does friendship give me? Uh, I like the way Matt said it. What is friendship for? Uh, this may be worth uh, doing a little exercise where you literally take some time to think. And, and, and if you're a, if you're this kind of person, maybe write it down if it helps. But like when you have really rich friendships in your life, what, what else is in your life as a result of that? When you don't have friendships in your life, what is your life missing? Um, those are, those would be some really interesting columns to kind of, to, to write some things down in. And just to kind of discover for you, what does friendship bring into my life? What I, I love also the, the kind of dichotomy of my, my inner circle and my buddies. That was a great point too, because um, there, there are different things that those different things bring into your life. Once you have kind of a survey of, okay, well, when I have deep friendships, like, l- let me give you an example. Um, <clears throat> I, I recently had a, a difficult thing occur in, in my life. I shared it with uh, some friends that are very close to me, and the immediate response was, I had people who very, very deeply had my back. Like, immediately, like, hey, we'll all... We'll we'll all join you and do something stupid and go to jail together because that's how hard yeah. we've got your back, you know. And th- like, if I was going to write down what is something that's in my life because of my friendships, my deep friendships, it's like, oh, I got people that just have my back. Um, they don't even ask. They, they don't even need the details. Just at first blush, their their knee jerk response is, "I have your back. I'll go to jail for you," <laughs> which is which is awesome. You know, um, and, and so that, that might be a thing you have. And this isn't, this is actually a worthwhile, uh, exercise to, to, to think about and, uh, plumb the depths of what, what is, how is my life enriched by deep friendships? How is, what am I missing when I don't have those things? Then when you have that list, when you've, when you've kind of populated that list of this is what I've got with deep friendships. This is what I'm missing without them. Then I would start here. And this is going, I'm just, I'm just riding Jed's coattails on this. Turn around and give that away for free. Just give that to somebody else. Jed said, be the person who sets up the, you know, for lack of a better term, sets up the date that, that intentionally sets up the hangout. Um, when you discover the specific things that are enriched about your life because of deep friendships or the things that are impoverished in your life with the lack of deep friendships, then take one of those bullet points, one of those, one of those characteristics of life and turn around and and just give that to somebody else. If one of the things you realize is when I have deep friendships, somebody has my back. Well then turn around and figure out how can I intentionally have somebody's back today? Uh, I'm going to reach out to somebody and if they're hurting or having a hard time, I'm just going to have their back. If they had a hard day at work, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be on, on their side no matter what. It's like, how dare she say that to you? 
I guarantee you that's an instantaneous connection. Like when you just have somebody's back, um, whatever the, but whatever's on that list, um, turn around and give that away to somebody for free. And that is a way that you're going to build some of these connections. All fantastic stuff from all of these guys here. One, one thing I would tag on the end of it, and it goes with, with that uh, point of, that we're all making about how friendships fit different things. Um, when you're, there's certainly a thing that can happen when you're young, which is kind of every friendship is a potential on the way to best friendship. And that's the only way that counts. I think that also gets mixed in with some weird, uh, wrong kind of churchy stuff of that idea of, are you witnessing to your friends? Are you trying to convert them? Have you (laughs) turned this human friendship into a project where you try to convince them of something? Um, because some friendships are just at the level they're at and that's cool. You know, if you, uh, like playing board games and you have, you know, your, your board game friends that you play board games with a couple times a year and that's all that is, that's totally cool. Um, that's, that's how that works. That's, that's totally fine. That's totally cool. That's a friendship that counts. It doesn't have to be going on to anything. It can, and that's great too. But as we kind of take us back where we started, this is all individual to where you are in your life, what's going on and what you're trying to get out of it. And that is fine. We're going to move on to our final question here. This came in anonymously and says, someone I know is going back and forth in their life. I love this person and I'm trying to help them, but sometimes that sets me up to be an enabler. Sometimes it's like I'm going back and forth with them. Some days I want to demonstrate love and others I just want to yell at them. I don't think I'm handling the situation very well. How would God want me to handle it? And another really, really good question. And Jed, where would we start off? It's a great question indeed. So you've probably heard um, the uh, ancient proverb, which is a really good one and really true, that it takes a village to raise a child, which is totally true. The idea being that we, if we want to, to raise someone, we need a, a, a broad group of people that are all contributing to that process. Now, here's the interesting thing. It actually takes a village for all of us. It takes a village for me to be me. It takes a village for Lee to be Lee. And it takes a village for, for you to be you. It is almost never a good idea for you to be the sole person in the support network of another human being. Because, in fact, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. They, they need a whole village of people looking after them the same way that I do and the same way that you do. And so the thing that I want to encourage you to do to start is to take the pressure of being the one person that's going to support and Uh hold this person up. Take that off your shoulders, man. Um, That is not a good job description, and it's not one you can do. Um, And I can't imagine it's one that God's asking you to do because it takes a village. Um, It takes a whole group of people to, to support someone in their life. Particularly if they are going through a hard time or coming out of a very hard season, all the more, they need a broad support network of a lot of people, each of those people contributing a piece of the support and the help that that person needs. The truth is there are probably some things that you can do really well, and you may be the only person in this other person's support network that can really pull that stuff off. But there's a lot of other stuff, too, and there may be stuff on that list that they need that either you wouldn't be super well situated to do or you wouldn't be very good at doing or you just can't do. And that is okay. Again, anytime that we get into a situation where we have a person where basically we are it, 
we are the the one and only positive <laughs> input in this person's life. That's not where we want to leave it, man. Mm. Um, that's that's you know sometimes that may as a very short term thing be where things uh, can be momentarily, but we never want to leave it there. Um, all of us are enriched, and this actually goes back to our previous question. All of us are enriched by having that circle of people who support us and have our back and who who believe in us. I think when we're trying to do more for a for one specific person than we can really pull off, I think it almost always leads to the kind of stuff you're describing in your question, where it feels like you are riding the roller coaster of their experience. When you know when they're up, you're up. When they're down, you're down. When they're when they're struggling, basically you're struggling. And to be clear. It's one thing to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's a good thing. That's that's a biblical thing. But it's another thing when kind of your mental and emotional health goes up and down in sync and in tandem with another person's experiences. That's that's actually not what we're looking for. And, and I think oftentimes that is a symptom of you are trying to give more care than you can and to be more of the support network than is a good idea. Mm. I think when we can lean into that humility of recognizing I can only give what I've got and I cannot be a village's worth of help for this other person, when we can embrace that humility, there's so much more peace. Um, there's so much more stability and it is so much better for that other person. So as a place to start with this question, that's the thing we really want to encourage you on is to embrace the idea for every single one of us, it takes a village. It is an honor to be able to be one member of that village, but no mm. one should be trying to be the whole thing. That is a great place to start. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I really like Jed's point about taking the pressure off yourself. Yeah. And another way we probably need to take the pressure off ourselves is in tying our emotional state to the outcomes for this person, right? We, that's another way we can put pressure on ourselves. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good and sharp point, by the way, because there's actually nothing you can do to guarantee that you can change another person. Um, yep. You know, we often talk about the the role of boundaries in healthy relationships, and the kind of the bedrock principle of boundaries is I'm not assuming by by me setting any boundaries with you that I'm going to change anything about you. I'm declaring what I will do or won't do, um, and and kind of what the guardrails of that will be. Um, that's an important point. If, if you have that concept established, then exactly as, you know, then we have a better chance of avoiding what Jed's talking about where, you know, my, I'm owning your emergency and, and my emotional state is going up and down with, with how you are doing. Um, this is a, it's a really, really good point. I think a really good question to ask if you are wondering whether or not you're in a state of, of enablement in, in a relationship with somebody is to ask yourself, is there anything in this relationship that I'm unwilling to be honest about with them? It's a really good question to, to ask. Um, I, I, I want to give you some language um, some terminology or some or some language that I actually heard that I've actually heard from Jed and I've 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 heard Jed deploy this in conversations and even with me as well and and I've turned around and used it with other folks which is um, you know you're listening to somebody they're 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 kind of laying some stuff out for you and you say to them okay okay cool are you willing to hear any pushback on that and 
I love that language because you're shifting responsibility of what happens next into the court of this person who needs to see a different viewpoint. And you're offering, you're offering the chance to, to hear a different side. Like, I, in this moment, I could tell you something that, that you're not seeing about this. And so I want to give you the dignity of, of choosing whether or not you want to hear it. The really cool thing about using that kind of language is if that person accepts that challenge and they say, yeah, I, I'm willing to hear uh, some pushback on that or a different viewpoint on that, then you get to be honest about, the, about whatever it is that they're not seeing. And then they decide what they want to do with it. If they decide they don't want to hear that, then you can kind of jettison the idea that you need to bear the the you know the depth of their emergency. <laughs> that I need to feel so terrible that I have somehow kept this person in this state of unchanged. No, you were willing to help them see an honest thing that they needed to look at, but they were un, they were unwilling to do it. Um, and, and so I think that's an important question. Is it starts with. Okay, I, I'm wondering if I'm being an enabler. Okay, let's start here. Am I willing, first of all, I can't make anybody else change. Second of all, am I willing, is there anything I'm unwilling to be honest with this person about? I see something in them that is a big red flag, but I'm afraid to be honest about it. Okay, well, if I am, what if I give them the choice? Hey, there's, there's something I'm seeing here. Are you willing to, are you willing to entertain some pushback on this? Are you willing to take this conversation in this direction? And if they are giving them the permission, uh, them giving you the permission to do that, then you can enter into this uh, into this situation. If they're not willing to, then you get to kind of jettison the responsibility of of feeling all of the emotional baggage, as Matt's saying that I I have to somehow carry this around as if this is my fault. Um, I, I think this all goes into the this all um, kind of dovetails into what Jeb was saying because. If they don't want to hear it from me, maybe they'll hear it from somebody else. But I don't have to bear the full weight of the responsibility of I've got to change this person or whatever. I get to give them the dignity of do you are you in a place where you want to hear something different? If you're not in that place, that's totally fine. But I'm I I am not the kind of person who's unafraid to say something honest when it needs to be said. A really great place to take that. And Glenn, we've heard a lot of lot of good stuff from these guys. Where do we close this out? Well, yeah, I would really just build on everything that uh, these fellows are saying. And I would start with this point. You, you said, um, you know, I don't think I'm handling the situation well. How would God want me to handle it? Uh, God would want you to let him handle it. Hmm. Uh, he would not want you to handle it at all. Uh, now. Uh, of course, he very likely has things he would like for you to do on his project of helping this person out. Uh, but, uh, you know, inviting God to help you on your project that you came up with, with your own ideas, that's not, that's not exactly what you call, you know, A-level Christianing. Uh, I, I, I can tell you because I, I've done a lot of that. It, it's, you know, it's, it, it didn't feel very Christian in the final analysis. So uh, it, it does look a lot different when we're saying, okay, God, I know you care about this person in ways that I couldn't. You see things that I don't about this. I just want to do what you want me to do here. The chances of me getting into a lot of enabling off of that are pretty low. Uh, let's also say this, and 
and because we need to be fair to you. Uh, if you're tr- sincerely trying to help somebody who's going through ups and downs and backslides and those kind of things, you almost inevitably will get some enabling going in there somewhere. Uh, sometimes it's just way hard to tell and you don't have time to really pray about it or consider it. I think give yourself a break that if, if you're trying to he- help people, you will occasionally err on the side of a little bit of enabling and let's not beat you up over that. Let's, let's not, you know, if you know you're way over the line into enabling, that's when we want to, you know, put on the brakes and say, okay, things need to change as opposed to nitpicking that. Um, also, let me ask you this question. Are, and this is off of what Lee was just talking about. Are you afraid to say no? Are you comfortable with saying no? Uh, does it feel unchristian to you to say no when people ask for stuff? You know, if a guy asks for you to to, to uh, walk a mile with him, you're supposed to walk two miles with him. If he says, uh, pay my rent because I smoked it all up, then you're supposed to pay two months' rent. Is, is that, isn't that what the Bible is saying? Well, no. It, it This situation is a little more complicated than that. Uh, the, there is a point here where we're enabling someone to the point where we're hurting them. Uh, if we, if the whole mission here is to help this person, if that's what's going on, I think the main, main, main thing I want you to fix in your mind is I want to give this person the tools to do the job. Mm. Nice. I want them to do all the rebuilding and all the fixing and all the whatever I can stand there, I can hand them the hammer, I can tell them how to use the hammer, I can hand them more nails while they're doing it, I can encourage them, I can root for them, I can offer little hints on how to do that a little safer or more efficiently or those kinds of things, Uh, but I'm giving you the tools for you to do the job. Uh, If I'm helping somebody who's had lots of ups and downs, one of the things I want to do is build confidence in them that they can fix it. If I fix it for them, they're not going to feel like they can do it within themselves. Uh, So if I say, look, I'm going to show you how, go to God, get the strength that you need and all of the uh, focus and determination that you need, and use these tools that I'm giving you, this job will get done. And if there's some little something missing out of all of that, it's the easiest thing in the world for me to come in and fill in some of these little gaps. You know, we have guys that that we minister in our program. They they've gone through rehab. They've got their records expunged. They've gone out and gotten a job. They've gone through the interview process. They've taken the drug test, and now the 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 one thing keeping them from getting this job is work boots. Uh, my basement has a really solid supply of work boots in it. That is not going to hold you up. I, I am uh, it, the only thing I'm doing at that point is enabling you to do the awesome thing that you've been working on here, and it's the happiest thing in the world for me to do that. So I want to give you that picture of uh, the, this idea of of helping uh, and giving them the tools to do the job, and that's going to give you the right focus on this. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff. If you're wondering how you can contribute to the Work Boot Fund and also turning uh, what is Glenn's Basement is now, I believe, the fifth largest Payless Shoes in the Greater Chicago <laughs> area <laughs> yeah, due to some closures, um, you can, uh, of course, sign up for BridgeBox, MissionUSA.com slash BridgeBox. You can join us every 
Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Ooh. Time at Facebook.com slash Bridge Chicago for our Bridge Live service. I'm doing the plugs out of order. You can, of course, if you have a question for us, you can find us at setpodcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. We're going to keep that totally anonymous. Speaking of Bridgebox, check out the song this week. This is from our February edition of Bridgebox. This is our friend out of North Carolina, Kyle Sigmund. A song called Rooted. Very cool song. We're glad to share with you. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. In this corner, weighing 275 pounds, undefeated, undeterred, and unstoppable, it's the Rev. In this quarter, weighing 110 pounds in the Prada trunks, bought with recently canceled credit cards, it's Trevor, pastor of community and family <laughs> connectivity and unity. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Planted by the waters, your life feeds my soul. Your love.